0: This is the word of the Lord according to Mark chapter 8 verse 34 through chapter 9 verse 1. In calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul?" For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for this new people that you have, have brought together. I thank you for their love for you and their love for one another. I thank you for their love for your word, for their hearts to serve one another, and for their hearts to to take this good news to our city and to our friends and our family. And Jesus, you are our living hope. Amen. And today as we come to your word, as we look at your, your teaching, our hope is that you would be the one that would change us and transform us that you would enable us to follow after you, that you would enable us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. And so, Lord, help me be faithful in putting you on display today, your goodness, your grace, and all the joy and the life that can be found in you. Help that be right before our eyes this morning. May we be in awe of it. Help us taste some of your goodness. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And once again, I'd encourage you guys to have a Bible here with you or a phone or a uh, tablet, whatever you got. We also have, uh, we'll always have Bibles out in the lobby or even back on those tables. Feel free to go grab those. If you do not have a Bible or if you ever bring someone that does not have a Bible, those Bibles are our gifts uh, to you. Uh, we fully believe um, that that getting the Word of God into, into the hands of, of of our people and our guests, um, it is it is a transforming, miraculous thing that's that's going to happen when we get God's word to God's people. But today we are continuing a series, preaching verse by verse through the book of Mark, and we arrive at Mark chapter eight, verse thirty-four. And uh, we, we currently are in that series, Preaching Through the Book of Mark, but it seems like we've kind of now stumbled on a group of verses here that has created sort of a mini-series on what true discipleship looks like. And so this is part two of probably a three-part series, maybe four-part. I don't want to commit too early to anything. Uh, but, but last week, we, we started uh, with part one of looking at this passage. And the reason that we feel we need to pause and go a little slower through these verses is because it can be so easy to forget what true discipleship really looks like. We can forget we are are sadly surrounded by and our churches are filled with a lot of false or fake disciples of Jesus. And what I mean by false or fake disciples is I mean people that do the exact opposite of what Jesus has called us to do, okay? So people, instead of of denying themselves, they instead want to indulge themselves. These these are people that desire Jesus to be a means to their own end. False disciples want to use Jesus to get the stuff or the things that they really love or are pursuing, False disciples want Jesus to be the co-pilot, but never actually give him the wheel. But just like the man who built his house on sand, when the storm comes, when adversity hits, when persecution arrives, false discipleship will fall. They will not stand. And false discipleship, what it leads to, is it leads to a joyless, powerless, and Jesus-less life and eternity. And I do not want that for all of us in here this morning. So church, do not be content or comfortable with a false discipleship because true joy and true life are found in following after Jesus. And Jesus says here in this passage that if anyone would be a true disciple, if anyone would follow after him, says they would deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Last week we looked at what it looks like to deny yourself. And so if you weren't here last week, it's one I'd encourage you to go back online and listen to because it kind of sets up and builds through this little mini-series on what it means first to deny yourself. But just to recap really quickly, we learned that denying ourselves, it means to deny our old self, our sinful desires and passions. It means to surrender ultimate control of our life to Jesus. And it also means to consider the needs of others greater than ourselves. We learn that followers of Jesus, we are to deny ourselves. And now today we're going to focus in on what it means to take up your cross. Take up your car- cross. And to really understand what this means for us to take up our cross, we have to try to get into the mindset of what people who heard Jesus teach this for the first time, what their mindset would have been. We really have to get into the mindset of when, when Mark was writing this gospel of count. What, what were the readers of Mark thinking about when they heard about Jesus teaching to take up your cross? Because you see, in modern culture, we view the cross as a nice, sweet, pleasant symbol, right? Like, oh, it's a it's a cross. Jamin, even last night drawing with chalk in our driveway, he, he drew a car with a cross on it, and he called it a Jesus car, right? It's like, oh, a cross. Pastors' kids, right? We're kind of a different different breed. But I mean, think about the symbol of the cross. We've even now in our culture, right, we've turned this into jewelry, right? So this is going to be a nice like jewelry necklace. If you have a cross jewelry on, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I don't mean anyone to feel self-conscious about that. But, but we, we see we've taken the image of the cross and it's, to us it's a, it's a pleasant symbol. I mean, we're this side of the cross and the resurrection. So to, for us, it's, it's, a, it's a good memories. It's a good, a good symbol of what Jesus has accomplished for us. But we have to try to put ourselves in the mindset of what the original hearers of this teaching would have thought when Jesus said to take up your cross. And so Christians in America in 2019, we come to this passage and we kind of scratch our heads and our chins and think, man, what does it mean to take up our cross? Like this must be a parable, this must be an illustration, there must be some deeper meaning. We got to kind of dig through to find what this means. But listen church, the early church, the disciples that first heard this, the Christians that Mark is writing to, they knew exactly what this meant because many of them would themselves, as a result of following Jesus, be crucified on a cross. This wasn't some theoretical thing. This wasn't some, some, some thing they had to like kind of, you know, philosophical reasoning, take up your cross. No, this was an inevitable reality of followers of Jesus that, hey, if they crucified him, they maybe are going to crucify you as well. And so this was not a pleasant teaching, thinking about the cross, okay? Okay. People knew exactly what he was talking about when he taught this. The cross to them was not this sweet symbol, okay? The ones that first heard Jesus teach this, it was not a sweet symbol. To them, the cross, it was a symbol of the detestable Roman oppression, okay? When they saw the cross, they thought about being oppressed by the Romans. The cross brought complete shame and suffering to people, The cross was an instrument of execution, and it represented an agonizing death. You see, crucifixions were not uncommon in that time, okay? Everyone in that culture knew what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the cross. For example, after the death of Herod the Great, there was a a Jewish revolt against Rome. And Rome at that time crucified 2,000 Jewish rebels all at once to squash out the revolt. 2000 all at once. And these, and these weren't like secret crucifixions at like a secret, like Guantanamo crucifixion site, okay? That's not how the Romans did it. They actually did it along the busy roadways. They crucified people against where, where people would be traveling, not only to shame those that we were being crucified, but as a warning to those passing by of what happens to enemies of Rome. And it's estimated in the time that Jesus was on earth doing his ministry in those 33 years, it's estimated according to some history books, that approximately 30,000 crucifixions took place in that region in those 33 years. 30,000 crucifixions. So the cross was not some theoretical thing that no one had experience with. It wasn't just some parable or illustration to those that would hear and read this. This was a very real reality that to claim Jesus as Lord meant that the Romans would take that as treason and you were going to be crucified or thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. And the disciples that Jesus was teaching this to and those who John Mark was writing this to They understood the cross as meaning opposition, as meaning suffering, and as meaning death. And so for us, to take up our cross means that we are willing to face opposition. We are willing to suffer. And we are even willing to die for Jesus and the sake of the gospel. A true disciple. If anyone would follow after Jesus, they must first deny themselves and then they must be willing to face opposition. They must be willing to suffer and they must be willing to die for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. Look at Mark now, chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Let me share with you all about a a, a true disciple. His name was John Bunyan. John Bunyan. He's most well known for his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. However, he wrote many other books. He was born in England in 1628, and he was part of a group of Christians called the Puritans, the Puritans. And they were called the Puritans because they longed to see the Church of England purified. And John and his wife, they had four children, and Mary, his oldest daughter, was born blind. And during his life, during that time, there was a lot of instability in the government in England. There was a lot of uh, uh, conflict between the parliament and the monarchy. And at one point during his life, parliament turned against some of these Puritan pastors like John Bunyan. And when his oldest child was 10, parliament passed the Act of Uniformity, which what that meant was it called for 2,000 Puritan pastors to be removed and forced out of their pulpits and out of their churches. Bunyan, however, would not stop preaching. And because of this, he was imprisoned for 12 years for preaching without state approval. And here's the thing about John Bunyan, okay? Because think about the age of his kids. He went to prison when his oldest was 10, and he was there for at least 12 years, and intermittently then, later on in life, he went to prison again. But I mean, think about that. Your oldest child being 10 and going to prison— for 12 years, missing out on all that childhood. And here's the crazy thing. All those years in prison, all he had to do was sign an agreement not to preach, and he would have been released. He didn't have to renounce Christ. He didn't have to sign off on any heresy. He just had to agree to stop preaching, but his conscience would not allow him to do so. And when asked not to preach, he said, I have determined the Almighty God, being my help and shield, yet to suffer. If frail life might continue so long, even till moss shall grow on my eyebrows, rather than thus to violate my faith and principles. And the government, it went back and forth while he was in prison, change in leadership, and there were times that he would be released, and then there were times he'd be imprisoned once again. And it was during one of those imprisonments imprisonments, uh, that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It was during those imprisonments that he would continue to teach his people through writings, and when he would be released, then through preaching. And he eventually wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is now probably the second best-selling book in the history of the world, only next to the Bible. He wrote it while imprisoned where he was willing to face opposition as a true follower and disciple of Jesus. He was willing to face opposition for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. You see, church, we must realize that opposition will come when we proclaim the gospel, opposition will come when we proclaim the gospel. Our city groups right now, we've been going through 1 uh, Corinthians. And this is what we were talking about in, in our group this last week. It was from 1 Corinthians 1, 18. We'll have it up on the screen. And it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, there are two responses from the world when the gospel is proclaimed. To those who are perishing, it is folly. It is foolishness. Like the fact that we don't have to work for our salvation, the fact that it's not a performance-driven system, I mean, that is unheard of. It sounds silly to most of the world saved by God's grace, right? Undeserved favor, unconditional love, substitutionary death, miraculous resurrection. Like, what is that? There will be those who hear that and say that message is foolishness. It's foolishness. But then there will be those who hear the gospel proclaimed and it does something to their heart. The power of God awakens and stirs their affections, and they say yes and amen and praise God for that glorious news. But then here's the problem, okay? So as Christians, if we don't understand that being a true disciple is to be willing to endure opposition, if we don't understand that, Then the temptation is to try and change the message in a way that will make it impressive to the world. The temptation is to change the message to make it impressive to the world and to those that would otherwise say that is foolishness. Now, listen, it's not wrong to try to engage the world and the questions that they are asking. It's not wrong to try and relate and apply Scripture to our current um, cultural context. But to try and make the message impressive to those that the Bible say will call it foolish, it is a mistake that many Christian leaders and teachers and writers and even your everyday social media posts and bloggers, right? It is a mistake that many have made, and as a result, They have slowly but surely compromised the message to those that they are trying to reach. And they compromise and they compromise and they compromise until it's no longer the gospel of Jesus that they proclaim. And all because they were not willing to face opposition to the message of the gospel. Now listen, true disciples, we do not go looking for opposition. There are some like that, and they're not fun to hang out with. But true disciples are willing to face opposition, knowing that the word of the cross is going to be folly to some. But but they are willing to face that opposition because they also believe that by proclaiming the gospel to some, it will be the very power of God for salvation. To take up your cross means to be willing to face opposition, to be willing to suffer, and to be willing to die for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. Now certainly suffering, suffering in this world is not something that we get excited about. It's not something that we look forward to. And yet it would seem that the command of Jesus to take up our cross, which was an instrument of suffering, It would seem that it would imply that to follow after him, we must be willing to suffer. Now God, according to his own purposes, calls some to suffer more than others. And he calls some to suffer differently than others. Some Christians uh, suffer physically. Some Christians are called to suffer mentally or emotionally. Some Christians are called to endure large amounts of suffering. Some Christians are only called to endure a small amount of suffering. But the Bible seems clear that as followers of Jesus, we should not be surprised by suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though, as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I mean, how much of our life is just wasted being surprised at suffering? Like that really caught us off guard, right? We, we take weeks and months and seasons just to like get our bearing again. Like, wow, like what in the world is happening when these trials are coming our way? But beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. We are called to be willing to endure suffering. And when we first started gathering as Franklin City Church, we started out by preaching through the book of 1 Peter. Because we knew that planting a church, being a part of a church plant, that that is hard work. There are some hard years involved in that. And so anytime you are, are going through a hardship or a trial or a suffering, I encourage you, go back to read First Peter, because First Peter was all about how we have hope in hardships. Because we know that suffering, the suffering we endure, it is not purposeless. Suffering we endure, it's not pointless. It's not just by chance. It's not because the world is spinning out of control. Because we know that suffering occurs. Excuse me, we know that no suffering occurs that is outside of God's control. And whatever he allows or permits, he will ultimately use for his good purposes. And therefore, we can, like Job, say, though he slay me, I will hope in him. God's done a miraculous work on your heart. If you can say, though he slay me, I will hope in him. John Bunyan, in many of his writings, he saw that what the enemy intended for suffering and for evil, God used it for good. And Bunyan saw how suffering in prison, what it did was it increased his love for God. It drove him into deeper communion and fellowship with God. What John Bunyan's suffering did for him was it encouraged him, it gave him a deeper love for God's people. His church was about a hundred members, and he spent years just pouring himself out for this group of people, even when he couldn't be with them, just in the amount of writing he was putting out to try to teach them and shepherd them from prison. And in his last book that was published, it's called the Excellency of a Broken Heart. And this is what he writes in that. He wrote conversion is not the smooth easy going process that some men th- seem to think. Probably a lot of us could say amen to that. He goes on to say it is wounding work, of course. This breaking of the hearts. But without wounding there is no saving where there is grafting there is cutting heart must be set to heart and back to back or there will be no sap from the root to the branch and this i say must be done by a wound bunyan would also go on to say in another writing he said it is said that in some countries trees will grow but will bear no fruit because there is no winter there I think as as those of us coming out of a long winter, we can rejoice and know that the spring will bear fruit. And sometimes it takes going through a long, hard, cold, suffering winter. But our hope is that spring is coming. As followers of Jesus, we are to be willing to suffer for Jesus and the gospel because we know that any suffering we might face is not without purpose. And it is through it that we will enjoy deeper communion with God, a deeper love for one another. And it is through suffering and through the suffering of winter that we will bear fruit in the spring. So to take up your cross, it means to be willing to face opposition. It means to be willing to suffer. And it means to even be willing to die for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. You see, being willing to die for Jesus, some would say, is foolish. Willing to go to prison because you won't stop preaching the gospel, some would say that is crazy. But a true disciple does not see a willingness to die for Jesus as a foolish transaction. No, a true disciple of Jesus has found that Matthew 13 is true. Okay, a a, a true disciple of Jesus has found that Matthew 13, verse 44 is true, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. A true disciple of Jesus has found that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. To take up your cross means to be willing to sacrifice it all for the sake of Christ. But sacrificing it all for the sake of Christ is not a foolish transaction because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He is worth it. He is worth it. And when you truly see him, when you seek and you find him, It is like finding a treasure in a field. It's worth it. Go sell all you have to obtain this treasure. It's like the pearl of great value. It's worth it. Go sell all you have to obtain this great pearl, this great value. And Paul agrees with this. When he wrote the Philippians in Philippians 3, 8 through 10, Paul says, indeed, And the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. To be willing to face opposition, to be willing to endure suffering, to be willing to face even death. Guys, it is worth it to know Christ Jesus our Lord, to know him, to enjoy him, to behold his glory, to experience his grace. To, to feel His love. It is worth all you have. There are a chain of islands in the South Pacific called the Vanuatu Islands. If you draw a line on the map from Honolulu to, to Sydney, Australia, they're, they're out there sort of close to, to Papua New Guinea, close to Fiji. There, there's this chain of islands that run about 450 miles long. These islands had never had the gospel proclaimed to them that we know of until a man named John Williams and a man named James Harris from the London Missionary Society landed in 1839. As far as we know, the gospel had never gone there. These two men in 1839 arrived to proclaim the good news of Christ. Both of these missionaries were killed and eaten by cannibals only minutes after arriving on shore. Some would look at that and say, that's foolish. Foolishness. Why would they do that? Well, there was a man after them named John G. Payton, who would be a missionary later to these islands. And this is what he wrote after John and James Harris were killed. He wrote this, He says thus were these islands baptized with the blood of martyrs and Christ thereby told the whole Christian world that he claimed these islands as his own. And John Payton a few years later then expressed to his family and friends his desire to go to these islands and proclaim Jesus to these tribal people And this is what he was told. He was told, you will be eaten by cannibals. You'll be killed right away. You will waste your life. It's foolishness. And this is how he responded. Listen to how a true disciple responded to this. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. John Payton, at age 33, took his wife and young son to these islands, fully ready to experience death for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. His wife and his son in that first year They died from illnesses, fevers. But John Payton continued to live and and work there for many years. He faced extreme opposition. He endured extreme suffering. And the possibility of death was every day for him. But he learned the language. He translated the New Testament into their language. He started an orphanage. He started schools. He started training the natives to then take the message of the gospel out to other tribes and villages throughout these islands. And he served these people all the way until he died at age 82. And today, over 100 years after his ministry, 92% of that population of those islands have thrown out their idols and all their false practices and demonic worship and that they now call themselves Christians Mark 8:34 And calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them If anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Now listen, John Bunyan, John Payton, all these other missionaries that you read biographies about, like these stories sound so radical and so exceptional. But listen, the hearts that both of them had, like hearts that are surrendered to the Lord, that is a normal heart of a true disciple of Jesus. Now listen, not all of us will be called to go to cannibals. Not all of us will be called to go to remote places, but all of us are called to be willing to go. To take up your cross means to be willing to face opposition, to be willing to endure suffering, and to be willing to even die for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And Luke's Luke's account of this teaching, he adds adds a little bit to it. It gives a little bit different perspective as to how often we are to take up our cross. And so Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily and follow me. Day in and day out. If we are to follow Jesus, we are to daily deny ourselves and we are to daily take up our cross. Listen, church, the call to true discipleship is ultimately a call to come and die. And I know that sounds maybe grim at first, like Mark 8:34 if that's all that Jesus leaves us it's a call to call to come and die that can seem like a little pretty pretty heavy pretty grim not much hope but that's all, not all that Jesus leaves us right look at Mark 8:35 it's a call to come and die so that we might live so that we might truly live. It's a call to die to yourself so that you might actually find real life and real life is found in Christ. It doesn't, life in Christ does not even come close to comparing with any opposition, suffering, or even death that we might have to endure here on this earth. Romans 8, verse 18. Write this down. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not even worth comparing. Like, Grant, don't even try to compare it, it's not worth comparing. There's no comparison, the suffering in this present time to the glory that is to be revealed. There's no comparison. Dying to yourself here in order that you might find true life in Christ. Life in Christ, there's no comparison. The glory that is coming and any present sufferings we might have to endure here and now, not even worth comparing. Now listen, not all of us will be called to be martyrs, okay? But some might be. Not all of us will be called to overseas missions and to go to places that we would call dangerous places. Not all of us are going to be called to be imprisoned or killed for the gospel. But listen, some of us might be. And some of you might even now be raising kids, Nope, I thought I could use that as an example. I can't. But let me ask you, are you willing to surrender control even of your kids' lives to what God would call them to? Or is your dream for them and your plan for them, that's more important to you than actually what God would have for them? So, some of us might not be called to the ends of the earth, but some of us will be. Some of us might be called to endure suffering or opposition here in this country. Some of us might be called for the sake of the gospel to lose businesses. Some of us might be slandered and our reputations come under attack. Some of us might be mocked or called fools. Some of us might suffer relationally because of our love for Jesus and for proclaiming the gospel. But church, take heart and do not be ashamed of Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the gospel because if you're going to find true life, you're going to have to lose this one. But Jesus is worth it. He's worth it to know Christ to know Christ, to know the love of Christ, to enjoy Christ, it is worth anything and everything that he might call you to sacrifice here on this earth. He who sacrificed himself to redeem us and embrace us, who are we to not willingly sacrifice all to embrace him? Christian, we are called to be willing to endure whatever Christ would bring in our path, whether it be opposition, suffering, or death, that we might know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And I know that isn't an easy subject or a light thing to talk about, being willing to die for the sake of Christ, and listen, take comfort that even, even the most faithful of Christians have been fearful of death. But Christ who has gone before us, he also goes with us. And he will give us the strength and the peace and the courage to endure whatever opposition might come our way, whatever suffering might come our way, and even if death would come our way, he will give us in those moments the strength, the peace, and the courage to endure. So in keeping with with sharing with you about the life of John Bunyan, I'll I'll close with this from his book, Pilgrim's Progress. It's when the main character, Christian, and his companion, Hopeful, it's before they can enter into the celestial city which they've been traveling to, they first have to pass through this river which symbolizes death. So they have to pass through death. And Christian and Hopeful, they're trying to look oh, if there's another way to get to the celestial city. But there isn't. They have to pass through this river. And then hear these words from Bunyan. He says, The pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to despond in their minds and look this way and that, but no, one, but the, no way could be found by them to which they might escape the river. Then they asked the men if the waters were deep, And they said, no, yet they could not help them in that case, for they said, you shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of that place. Then they entered into the water, and Christian began to sink. And crying out to his good friend Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All his waves go over me. And then said the other, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Then said Christian, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. Then said Hopeful, These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. Hopeful then added, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that, Christian broke out with a loud voice. Oh, I see him again. And he tells me, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Then they both took courage, and Christian therefore presently found ground to stand upon. And so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. Thus they got over. Isn't that good? You should probably go read Pilgrim's Progress. To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, those seem like sacrifices we make. Those seem like things that we have to endure. And the idea of being willing to die for Jesus can even seem scary and a little unnerving until, until we look up and we see him again until we once again are reminded of the glory of christ and the joy and the love and the life that are offered to us in him so christian deny yourself take up your cross come and die to yourself so that you might live for christ and be of good courage these words from isaiah 43 are true When you pass through the waters, he will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Let's pray.